This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. What we learned about a lion, and this is how it's so connected, and this is the brilliant mind of the writer of 1 Peter, lions are lazy. They are opportunist. They have no desire to take territory. They look for something that is weak and pounce. They want to use as little energy as possible for the kill. And the Bible teaches us that the devil does not have any power over you other than what you give him. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. I'm glad you're joining me on the program to begin our new series titled The Resistance. Now, today, Pastor Jeff is going to start by preaching from the book of 1 Peter. He speaks about the existence of the devil and his focus on destroying your future, my future, and our faith. It's the first message in our series called The Resistance, and if you've missed any previous series or want to hear messages just like this, just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll be able to find them there. But for now, let's join Pastor Jeff. While I was in Africa, I was interviewed by the director of ADMT, Denver Chizanga, which is Africa Development Mission and Training, and he said, Pastor Jeff, tell us a little bit about how to grow a church. And of course, you know me long enough to know, I'd say what? I have no idea. It's God's church. He grows it. And I'm just here for the ride. And he asked me a question, though, I guess down deep inside, I wish somebody would have asked me about 27 years ago. And it, uh, it really started planting the seed of thought of what I would do when I returned. I want you to stay with me now, because I think we're going to deal with something in this passage in First Peter that has the potential again to help you see your life the way God sees it, and maybe some of your struggles the way you need to see them. But he asked me the question, what is my biggest surprise in 27 years of ministry? Now, let me tell you what it is. My biggest surprise is how even though the Bible describes us as people who are overcomers, we are more than conquerors, we are people who are enduring, that even though that's the way the Bible describes us and reminds us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, how few of us actually live that way. Now, I'm not talking about you. This is not a judgmental passage to say, hey, you know, your pastor's telling you, you need to straighten up. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about us. And how many times I've really surprised myself by not responding to things the way I've preached to respond to them for 20 some years about how when difficulties come into my life, that it's easy for me to preach about how we should have faith, but how little faith I have in crucial times of living. Now, are you like that? And the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. We are people of victory. And I sure don't feel like I live like that oftentimes. Do you? What's the problem? Why? Well, this passage in 1 Peter tells us that there is a person called the devil, Satan, and that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
And I started thinking about that because when we went to Africa, my daughter said, Dad, I want to walk with the lions. I said, sweetheart, <clears throat> this is not America. It's not like down to San Diego. You can go and look at the giraffe. And he sticks his head over the, the uh, fence and you can pat him and give him some food. There are no zoos in Africa. The zoo is you. You're on their territory. And they're thinking, my, aren't these humans unique? You're not protected by any fence. If you go out into a game park, you're on their territory. Now, she said, I know, but I want to walk with lions. I said, sweetheart, you, you can't just go out walking with lions. She goes, yes, I can. I've read about it. So I contacted a friend of mine, Donnie Percival, who actually shoots documentaries for the BBC. And he said, actually, you can. There's a place called Antelope Park, and they've rescued lions or lioness that have been separated from their parents. They raise them, these cubs, and they teach them that humans are part of the pack, and then they release them back into Victoria Falls when they're adults. So Sian found out about this. I talked to my friend Don, so we went down to Antelope Park. And sure enough, you can take a walk with lions. Now, again, I want you to notice that you can, but you don't have to. It's kind of like, like Victoria Falls. You can bungee jump off the bridge if you're dumb, but you don't have to. Now, we showed up for training day. The guy introduced himself as Moses, and he says, I'm going to give you 11 commandments. And if you go on this lion walk, here are the things that you do. Stay alert. No problem there. Do not panic. Do not run. Now you think about this. I'm thinking, well, is there a problem? You know, this isn't America where if something goes bad, you can sue them. And I've seen the, the documentaries, Animals Gone Bad. So, okay, so I know what, do not run. Do not crouch. Because they see you as part of the pack, if you crouch, they think that you're wanting to play. The problem is, when they use their paw to play with you, you're dead. All right? Stand your ground. Don't act like you're afraid. Stay with the group. Now look at this next one. Do not wear dangly items. Look, I'm 50 years old. There are some things dangly, and I just can't help. <clears throat> Do not put anything on the ground. Approach the lions from the rear. No problem there. Do not touch lions on face or ears. Don't worry. I don't have any intention of doing that. But I like this last one. You stick correctly, not for hitting lions. <laughs> now, the problem is, because the lions think that you're part of the pack, sometimes they'll go into what they call the death stare. And at that point, you have to distract them. And if you take your stick and you hit it on the ground, it will, they're easily distracted and they'll concentrate on something else. The thought of a lion giving me the death stare was enough for me to go back to the cafe, have a cup of coffee, while the rest of them went to walk with the lions. And I'm not kidding. So my father-in-law, who's 74, well, what is, I mean, his life's almost over anyway. What has he got to lose? And so <clears throat> took my daughter, took my daughter, I'm sorry if you're 74. I took my daughter, took my son, and my wife, of course, she's adventurous, and they went out and actually walked with the lions. Now, that night, we went on a lunar game drive, which you'll be glad to know I did go on because we're in a Jeep. It's open air. But to watch these lions, they take you out in the, in the night. You spend five hours under the light of the moon to watch these lions make a kill. And just to see the way that they crouch and the way that they move. And God started turning some thoughts and ideas. It, I finally think I began to understand why the writer says, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Because the whole point of this is that you never want the lion's attention to be focused on you. You want it to be focused on something else. The problem is, according to the scripture, Satan's attention is focused on you. 
And most of us live lives of quiet desperation and depression and fear and defeat because we don't take into consideration that there is an underlying force underneath all our problems. Now, let me just say from the get-go, the Bible says that there is an entity called the devil, Lucifer, Satan. And the first thing the Bible teaches about him is that he's a supernatural personality force and power, that he's real. He's not this fiery little red cartoon character with a little pitchfork and a pointy head. He's not benign. He's not, for many, uh, for many that when you start talking about the devil, they think of some kind of archaic creature that should have gone out with the enlightenment. As a matter of fact, I had a friend of mine in New Zealand say, Pastor Jeff, I love coming to your church. I love learning. I love your issues of theodicy. And he's talking about how do we harmonize a good and loving, merciful God with pain and suffering in the world. He said, you've, you've enlightened me. You've, you've helped me understand the world in which we live. But then you start talking about the devil. Really? Dude, you need to come into the 21st century. There's no such thing. Now, can I just say one thing before I move on? If you're going to be a Christ follower, you can't pick and choose the parts of the Bible you want to accept and which ones you want to reject. When you do that, you set yourself up as the authority over the Bible. You understand? So the same Bible that tells you there's a God, a God of love, tells you there's an evil one who's trying to wreak havoc in your life. So you can't take one and throw out the other because it's the same authoritative source. There are some people who do the same thing with God. They'll say, I believe in a God of love, but not a God of justice or judgment. You can't do that. To be a Christ follower, Jesus says not a jot nor a tittle will fade away from the word, from the revealed word of God until all has been fulfilled. If you're going to be a Christ follower, because I know there are some of you who consider yourself somewhat intellectual, and you're thinking, you know what, Jeff, I like the Christian thing, and I like the God of love, but come on, really? A devil? Give me a break. Well, I just want to tell you, the same Bible that teaches you about God and his love and forgiveness and grace and mercy to the cross is the same authoritative word that tells you there is a devil, and he seeks he roams, he roars, and his mission is to destroy your life. Now, here's the second thing. The Bible tells us that he is constantly at work and his work is destruction. While the Bible tells us Jesus in Colossians 1.17 is the source of everything that is and he holds all things together, the Bible tells us the devil is the opposite. He is diametrically opposed to the work of God, which means his mission is to tear and destroy, which means he focuses on your marriages, on your families, on your career, on your future plans, and most importantly, he wants to focus on your faith in God. It is his intent to destroy it. Let's, let's move away from the Bible for a minute because it's important that we start here. Otherwise, this first Peter passage is not going to make a lot of sense. Let's go to the secular humanists. Let's go out into the world for a moment. What do they tell us? They tell us that man is basically what? Good. Man is basically good. And that's why they're offended at the gospel, right? Because the, the, the gospel tells you you're not basically good, that you're a sinner and you need salvation. So the secular humanist says, wait a minute, man is basically good. And then you get in another discussion with them and they'll say this, well, we can't really believe in God because there's too much evil in the world. Do you see a problem? On the one hand, man is basically good. We don't need salvation. I can't believe in God because there's so much evil in the world. From where does the evil come? The Bible says, wake up. That we're all in a struggle and it's not against flesh and blood. It is against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil. All I'm trying to get you to acknowledge is that the Bible says that there are spiritual forces. There's something behind the evil in the world. I just got back from Zimbabwe. 
They have discovered in the southern region a diamond mine that is seven miles wide. They have enough resources in Zimbabwe to feed everyone ten times over. And there are people starving to death in their country. Why? Because there's an evil dictator by the name of Robert Mugabe who takes all their wheat and corn and maize and sells it for foreign currency and pads his Swiss bank account. And when he discovers a diamond mine, he pays off his cronies within the government to keep him in power while his people starve to death. That is the story of most of Africa. It is. What's the problem? Is it that God has not provided or is it their evil leaders on the throne, but there's a power behind the throne? How does Hitler do what Hitler did? Stalin, Lenin. How do you have a genocide in Rwanda in 1994 where a million people are murdered in 90 days? How do you have such horrific events? And the Bible's answer is this. It's not as simple as people do bad things. There are powers behind the throne. Here's what I'm trying to say. The same power behind the evil that you detest in the world is the same power that's trying to be active in your financial struggles, in your temptations, in your defeats, in your marriage conflicts, in your day-to-day battles to survive, in your depression, in your anxiety, in your fear, and your struggle to get on top of that one thing that's trying to kill you. Now, when we talk about this, though, we got to take in mind what C.S. Lewis said when it comes to the devil. He said Christians make two mistakes, and both are debilitating. The first mistake is superstition. The second is substition. In superstition, this is the kind of Christian that gives the devil far too much credit. In their mind, the devil's in everything. But remember, the Bible doesn't say that the devil is omnipresent. That's only God. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not omniscient. He doesn't have all the goods on you. He doesn't know the future. Now, a good example of this, and I always use this here. How many of you car lovers know what this is? It's a Ford what? Maverick. That's right. My brother had a car just like this, only it was brown. And every morning he would get up and lay hands on the hood to cast the demons out. I'm serious. Every morning. And finally, after about two or three weeks of this, I said, brother, there are no demons in your car. The reason it won't start is because it's a Ford. That's, that's what Fords do, fix or repair daily. That's what they mean. But my brother thought everything had to do with evil forces. So anytime something bad happened, he would say, man, do I need some holy water right now? Am I possessed? Do I need an exorcism? The devil is not omnipresent, omnipotent, and some of us give him far too much credit. Let me tell you something, just quickly. According to the Bible, where a Christ follower is concerned, the devil's power is contingent upon territory that you give him. What we learned about a lion, and this is how it's so connected, and this is the brilliant mind of the writer of 1 Peter, lions are lazy. They are opportunist. They have no desire to take territory They look for something that is weak and pounce. They want to use as little energy as possible for the kill. And the Bible teaches us that the devil does not have any power over you other than what you give him. And that's what the Bible means. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Now, C.S. Lewis says, if you're not superstition, Christians tend to be substitious, which means that you give him way too little credit which means that you think the devil is a laughable thing. That you never take in mind that there's actually a diabolical force that's against you, diametrically opposed to everything good in your life. You say that society's way too advanced to believe in a devil. So the devil becomes like a Texas toad. 
When you come upon a Texas toad, the first thing he does is what? He puffs himself up to make himself appear as big as possible to frighten you. And if that doesn't work, he moves to plan B, which is what? Roll over and play dead. So for many of you, you're frightened because you've given him way too much credit and he's too big. For others of you, you're apathetic because you think he's benign and has no power at all. The Bible says, wake up. There's always more to your issues than appears on the surface. And according to 1 Peter chapter 5, this is beautiful. It actually uses the language of Ephesians 4, 26. Remember, he says, in your anger, do not sin, which means it's possible to be angry and not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The way to defeat the evil one in your life is to never give him a foothold in any area. My son Delaney, when he was little, he liked to close the door to his bedroom door and say, Dad, try to get in. Now, back then, I could just shove against the door, no problem. The trouble is, he's 20, and he still wants to play that game. (laughs) And now he's about this tall and this big and screams when he jumps off the top of Victoria Falls Bridge. And now, he outweighs me. He's stronger. But if I can just get my foot in the door, then I can leverage the other resources that I have to break into his room. That's exactly what the Bible teaches about the evil one. Once you give him a foothold and let him in, destruction comes. Now, in this passage, look, I want to tell you, I want to do some teaching. I want you to take a deep breath and let the Bible speak to you just for a few minutes here, okay? You're going to remember my stories, and I like the, 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 the jumping off the bridge, but that, those are not things that are eternal there. Those are just things to get you thinking. It's the Word of God that goes into you. And 1 Peter 5 tells us there are two footholds that we give the devil. You say, well, wait a minute, there are only two? Not really, but these two basically cover every area. And the first foothold is pride. He says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Clothe yourself with humility. Why do I do that? Because there's a devil roaming like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the only way you're going to defeat him is get off your pride and exude with humility. Now, let me define pride for you. I've always wanted somebody to do this. If you go through the scriptures, pride is really any resistance to the grace of God in any area of your life. Pride is any resistance to the grace of God in any area of your life. Now, let's start with what we understand and move to what is more difficult. Let's talk about the cross for a moment. Cross is good news, right? It's good news. The cross tells you what? What is the the gospel? What is the good news of the gospel? It is this. You're a sinner and you're in deep trouble because your sin separates you from God. But I got good news. And the good news is that Jesus died on the cross and your sins are forgiven, past, present, future, for all who call on the name of the Lord. That's a good message, right? Unless you're prideful. Because there's one of two ways to respond to the gospel when it's presented and couched like that. And the first response is what? Pride. I don't need the cross. I'm not that bad. What's the old phrase? I'm not that bad and God's not that mad. I don't need the gospel. I don't need a savior. I mean, I'm basically a good person. Hey, how many of you remember the show, Happy Days? Anybody? Now we're going back, aren't we? You know, when that show was out, I used to think it was great. And now I'll go back and watch it, and that's the cheesiest show I've ever seen on television. And I had this one guy called the Fonz. Really? The Fonz? But you remember, the Fonz could do everything but one thing. What was it? He could never admit he was wrong. And every time he did, he tried to, what, what, what he would say, I was, and he could never get it out. And that's what's wrong with humanity. See, in order to experience grace, there's got to be humility. In order for humility, you've got to drop your pride. And until you drop your pride, humility, grace cannot come in. 
And until grace comes in, your whole life is about performance and it's a miserable way to live. Can I just say something quickly? Let me take a little time out here. Rick Warren was interviewed again recently by Piers Morgan on CNN. And I've, I've mentioned Rick Warren many times because he's, he's so kind and loving and compassionate when he represents the kingdom. I'd love that. It's no use winning an argument if you're just going to be rude. I mean, some of you, I wish you wouldn't defend Christ, really, because you're so rude when you do it and unkind, you might win the argument, but you lose the person. Rick Warren always says something really good, but he's always so kind as he does it. Pierce Morgan asked him this question, don't you think Christians should evolve on same-sex marriage issue? Now, when I heard that, here's the first thing I thought. Why does the media care what the church thinks? I mean, they're going to do what they want to anyway, aren't they? Think about it. Why is it important for them to continue to have pastors come in and ask them this question? Who cares what they think? Do you know why? Because as long as we're speaking, morality will be presented to a community or to a populace. And when morality is presented, guilt comes. And when guilt comes, historically speaking, society has always wanted to silence those who make us feel guilty for the things we want to do. So they're going to keep pressing and pressing until preachers get weak, until the church gets weaker, Till finally the voice of morality is silenced and we're all free to do whatever we want to do. Do you know what Rick Warren said in his response? I am more afraid of God than I am of you or what the world thinks. That's good. Until we lose our pride, grace can never come in. And pride, part of it is admitting that we're all sinners. All of us. All of us fall short. And the thing to do is not trying to justify the things that we do, but admit through humility that we've got a problem. Now, stay with me here just for a moment. Pride is the first response to the gospel, but there's another response. And the second response, and every pastor has met this guy who says, you know what, Pastor Jeff, I love the good news of the gospel. It sounds great, man, that Jesus died on the cross, past, present, future. But Pastor Jeff, you've got no idea how bad I've been. Now, I used to think that was a statement of humility. It's not. It's just another view of pride. You know what that person is saying, basically? That God's plan isn't strong enough. That the blood of Jesus is not powerful enough. Because there are so many who want to take control. And in their mind, there's no way God could forgive them unless they do something to earn it. So salvation is something that God and I do together. There's got to be work. There's got to be penance. There's got to be restitution. There's got to be some kind of effort. Both of those responses resist the grace of God through pride. One says, I don't need forgiveness. The other says, God's grace is not big enough to forgive me. Both are prideful. Think about it. If you're that kind of person that says, man, I've been so bad, God can't forgive me. His declaration is not ruling your life. Your declaration is ruling your life. And the question is, who is God? You or God? Because God says you're forgiven past, present, future because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So when you say to everybody, woe is me, I'm so bad, God can't forgive me, you might look humble on the outside, but you're not. You're just as prideful as the first person. Now, think about what happens when you dismiss pride and become humble. Think about the byproducts in your life. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. The opposite of a coward is courage. And courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is responding to fear in the appropriate ways. 
when anxiety comes. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 that the only way to respond to fear and anxiety is not by cowarding, but by what? Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.